What is up, guys? And this is Why Theology. My name is KJ, short for Khalil Jones. And what a time to be alive. For this is the 17th time the Lakers have won the chip. And I've been a Lakers fan once again since I think it was either 2009, 2010. I'm kind of getting old, so I can't remember um, my age myself. No, I'm just playing. But I do remember when uh, Kobe had, I think it was like Ron Artest, Paul Gasol, and um, one more person I'm missing. Oh, Derek Fisher. So, like, I remember that squad. So, I've been a Lakers fan since then. And so, um, just excited. I'm not really a fan of LeBron as much, but uh, not that he's a bad basketball player. I believe he's over Mount Rushmore. Once he probably retires, he'll probably go down as probably one of the greatest basketball players who's ever lived career-wise. But I don't think he's the best basketball player, but I think career-wise, he probably will have achieved the greatest career of any basketball player because he has all the stats. And so, um, in my opinion, I think Michael Jordan is the best basketball player ever, like hands down, without a shadow of doubt. But if I had to pick them just personally, I'd say, you know, Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, just in that order, just from the eye test, just watching both all three of them play, like that's just the order I would see. But then I mean, like I, I'm a LeBron hater. I'm just saying, guys, I'm just not. You know, I was always a Kobe fan. Kobe's always, he's always been my favorite basketball player. And so when LeBron came over there, you know, all that hype surrounding LeBron, uh, he's a bird and Kobe and stuff like that, it kind of rubbed me off the wrong way. But I appreciate LeBron bringing us that chip. And so what a time to be alive, right? And so if you're not a Lakers fan, go ahead and hop on the bandwagon. I know we got a whole bunch of bandwagon fans. But next year going to be tough. We're going to have the Warriors back in competition. The Nets going to be there. And so all the other teams probably stacking up. And so I'm just glad right now to be a Lakers fan, so we can enjoy this moment. And this is LeBron's number four, so maybe keep winning two more. Maybe we can start talking about the GOAT conversation, but I don't know yet. I don't know. But today's question, um, I get asked this question a lot, and um, it kind of fires me up because, uh, you know, like you guys know I'm Reformed Baptist, and um, I hold to what I'm going to tell you guys. And so today's question, should Christians keep the Sabbath day? Or, I guess... Another way you can say it is, what does it look like to keep it holy, right? And so, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Should Christians keep the Sabbath day? And how are we to keep it if we are to keep it? So, if the Sabbath day is to be kept, how are we to keep it today as Christians in today's society? And so, that's what we're going to be dealing with today. So, stay tuned. Okay, guys, and we're back. Just got done eating some of my wife's beef jerky. She does not know. But we're going to keep it on down low. But today, has Jesus done away with the Sabbath day? Or if he has not, how are we supposed to be keeping the Sabbath day? Or here's another question. Are Christians supposed to keep the Sabbath day in general? Or like I said, has Christ done away with it? And so, we're going to be dealing with that today. And so... Um, there's three primarily, uh, primary answers that you can give to this question that many Christians have within the church today. Number one, it's, it usually falls under what is known as new covenant theology. And basically that is that we fall under the covenant of Christ or to be, to be, you know, more specific that we are now not under, under the law, but we're under the law of Christ. And so everything that Christ taught in the New Testament, that's the law that we're supposed to keep. So whatever Christ teaches, that's what we keep. Whatever he does not teach, we don't do that. And so in the New Testament, the word Sabbath day is not mentioned in reference to what we're supposed to do. Christ did not teach on that, they would say. And so <clears throat> some Christians believe, or to be specific, you know, may, well, I shouldn't say just New Covenant theologians, but some Christians believe that the Sabbath day was basically an Old Testament ordinance and it has no application in the New Testament. As I already mentioned, that basically we're now under the covenant or the law of Christ and that Christ has done away with the Old Testament law. And that includes the ceremonial law. And so the Sabbath day to many Christians will be considered a ceremonial law and Christ has done away with all ceremonial laws. Number two, some say, uh, some Christians say that this, you know, the Sabbath day has always been traditionally the seventh day of the week. And if you guys know anything about Jewish customs and tradition, 
the seventh day of the week has always been Saturday. And Saturday has always been the seventh day. The Sabbath day, I meant. And so Christians today, they say that Saturday is still the seventh day and it has not been done away with. And so we're still supposed to be keeping the Sabbath day, which is Saturday, and not doing any work or labor on that day. And we'll be getting on to that one a little bit later. And lastly, primarily, it is um, the Reformed tradition or the Reformed view. Some say that Sunday, the Lord's Day, which is the Christian Sabbath, it is the Sabbath day. And so rather than talking about having a physical rest and not doing labor, they teach that traditionally it has always been not a physical rest, but it's always referred to a spiritual rest where a person can be truly satisfied in Christ. And not only that, that on this day that we gather together for public worship to be with the saints on the Lord's day and on the seventh day. And so the reason behind this is that people say the performers have taught that the seventh day, Sabbath day was a moral law because it was part of the moral law, the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. Therefore, there has to be a moral aspect to that uh, commandment. And so we're supposed to still continue to keep it. And so those are the three views. Today, we are going to talk about, well, before we can say, before I even say anything, let me define what the Bible says about the Sabbath day first. So let, let us go back a little bit. Let me, I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself, guys, getting ahead of myself. It is a, it's an interesting topic. So if you guys don't know anything about confessions or creeds or anything, definitely go look at those. One of them, the Apostles Creed, I'm pretty sure many of you guys have probably heard of that. But we get, many people don't know about confessions, especially in the Christian world. And primarily, when you think about confession, you think about reform tradition and Christianity. And so you guys know we have the Westminster Confession of Faith and we have the Baptist Confession of Faith. To be specific, the second London Baptist Confession of Faith. And so a part of that confession, we have what is known as the Baptist Catechism. And so each catechism question, let's say you can do these questions with your family, family devotion. One question is like, you know, what does the first commandment say? What does the second commandment say? Third commandment. What does it teach? You know, what is original sin? What state were we all born into? You know, who is Jesus? What is the Trinity? The catechism answers all these questions. Well, to be specific, question number 62 in the Baptist Confession of Faith or the Baptist Catechism, question number 62, it says, what is the fourth commandment? And the answer it gives is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. And it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. And in it you shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant. For in it six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And so you guys know, God has given Moses... The seventh day commandment, which originated in Genesis 2, verse 1. Let me read that real quick. God says here, well, Moses record God saying, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his works, which he had done. And so what is said in Exodus points back to what is said in Genesis chapter 2. So you, you see that we have some kind of seventh, Sabbath day it has always been here because the Sabbath day was established in the creation of time or, you know, of all things in Genesis. And so the next question in the Baptist Catechism, question 63, it says, what is required in the fourth commandment? And the answer that they give, it says the fourth commandment requires the keeping holy to God such set times as he has appointed in his word expressly one whole day in seven to be a holy Sabbath to himself. And of course, again, like I've read Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11, Deuteronomy chapter 5, 12 through 14, those are the verses that were given. And so let's also take, um, well, let me go back. So I've so far I've defined biblically what the seventh day was, but let's look at what some of the giants of the faith have said about or how they've defined what the Sabbath day is. And so 
you guys don't know this guy's name. He is um, primarily the person who taught us about predestination. It's not John Calvin, because John Calvin got his doctrine from this person. His name is Augustine. Not Augustine, but Augustine. And so Augustine, he um, was considered by many to be the doctor of grace, or the preacher of grace, the teacher of grace, because he taught on grace. And we got tulip, or predestination. Of course, we got it from Calvin, but Calvin, again, got all this theology from Augustine. He viewed him highly. And so Augustine... He was a Christian during the time of the apostles. He lived in the third century. He's also known by many to start, or um, I guess you could say start, what is known as the Amil position in eschatology. And so this man is viewed highly in Christianity. Of course, he's not perfect. He's still a sinner, and he didn't have all things right. But this is what he said, Augustine, about the Sabbath day. He says... The Sabbath was not carried over in a New Testament community, and therefore it has been fulfilled and done away with through the work of Christ. So it sounds like that Augustine was a New Covenant theologian. I'm just playing. <laughs> but it sounds like he took the view of that first thing I said, the three different positions you can fall under. It kind of sounds like Augustine fell under number one, where the Sabbath day was done away with in the New Testament. And so that's the answer that he gave. There's another giant of fate. His name is Thomas Aquinas. And he held that the Ten Commandments is on some level um, expression of the moral principles that were inside of Adam. The problem, he says, was that people between the line or the time of Adam and Sinai neglected these principles. And so God repeatedly Israel. And so you guys remember how I said earlier um, when I was quoting from Exodus 20. I went to uh, back to Genesis 2 and I told you guys that it seems as though the Sabbath day has always been here because it was in Genesis 2 and God is kind of repeating himself of what he said in Genesis 2 and Exodus when he tells Moses to give this to the people and the commandments. And so it seems, that, of course, again, the Sabbath has always been here. And so Thomas Aquinas, he gave us um, five reasons why we should keep the Sabbath day still. And so he says, number one, the first reason was to put aside error. Number two, he says, the second reason was for this commandment to be and instruct us in our faith in the Redeemer. So number one and two, the first reason was to put aside error. Number two is this commandment is to instruct us in our faith in the Redeemer. Number three, he says, it is to strengthen and foreshadow the fulfillment of the promise of rest. You guys remember I told you guys traditionally the primary, the, the performers taught that the Sabbath day has always pointed to and um, kind of foreshadowed true rest in Christ. Not just a physical rest, but true rest or a spiritual rest that we get only in Christ. And so he's saying that not only is the Sabbath day um, not just a physical rest, but it's getting that. A spiritual rest and he says he, he says that right there and so number four he says and an increase for our love for god and our five to exercise works of kindness to those who are subject to us and so those are the five reasons that uh thomas aquinas gives us i'm pretty sure you guys know this man by the name of martin luther not martin luther king jr that has a dream but Martin Luther that had a dream. No, I'm just playing. He basically started the the Reformation or what is known as a Protestant Reformation in 1517, where he would go and write his 95 pieces on the Catholic Church, the doors of the church, because as you guys know, the church would fall into heresy, and it was Luther that came and said, "No, we need to reform back to the Bible instead of deform or fall away from the Bible." Luther's goal was to point us back to the scriptures. And that's how we have the five solas as well, because Luther said it is grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone, in the scriptures alone, and all of this for the glory of God alone that we should abide by. And the Catholic Church taught the opposite. And so Luther was considered a giant of the faith because he started the whole Protestant Reformation. And so Luther, he says that the Sabbath day, um, it was for only for the Jews and it was obsolete for the Christians. And so 
he believed the external uh, observation, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> observance, yeah, that's the word. The observance that uh, basically, like, you guys know, I'm going to get in that a little bit later when I read it, it'll make sense. But basically, he says that the Jews, for the Jews, this commandment was given to them. God gave this commandment for the Jews, and it was obsolete for the Gentiles. So, like, the ceremonial aspect of the Sabbath day was done away with in the New Testament. And so that's what Luther's getting at. But he also held that certain principles of the Sabbath was a, a applicable to like all believers as well today. And so he saw that it was a good for Christians today to find rest and have a day where they can rest. But also he proclaimed that we should be resting in the Lord and getting our true rest in Christ and that we also should be gathered together in public worship on the Lord's day, which is Sunday. And so in a quote I have from him, he says, let me see. Oh, yeah. So Luther, he thought that a worship service in which the word of God was reclaimed would take every place every day. He recognized that that was kind of hard because people have to work. They got family. So it's probably hard to do that. But he said it's good for one day of the week to hear God's word and corporate worship. So in a sense, Luther applies Sunday as the Sabbath day. So he applies the Sabbath day principles to the Lord's day or the Christian Sabbath. And so again, he's teaching that the ceremony aspect of the Sabbath day was done away with. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later. And you guys know exactly what I talk about. And I'll probably come back to what I said here. And so that's Luther. Uh, John Calvin. I'm pretty sure you guys all know this man, John Calvin. Uh, you guys know he taught on the doctrines of grace. We have Tulip doctrines of grace. And so, he was also a reformer, and many hold he's he wasn't just a theologian. Theologian, many said he was the theologian, and probably the greatest theologian that we had since Paul. And so, there is no introduction needed for John Calvin. And so, he says, "Quote: We should not neglect the holy ordinance which contribute to the spiritual polity of the church, especially to frequent sacri assemblies to hear the word of God." So basically he's saying we should not neglect the meeting together on the Lord's day. So he's saying Sabbath day is a Lord's day. And so he says in regard to the ceremonial aspect, it's like Luther. He said, I hold that it was abolished as the reality existed in Christ. And so the verse that he gives is Colossians 2.17. And so he says that people must meet to hear the doctrine of Christ to engage in public prayer and make profession of faith. And so he says that out of the abundance of Christ, fulfilling the Sabbath, we should gather. And so, so far, we are two for one. So far, we have, what's surprising, we have, you know, some of the giants of the faith. None of them have said that the Sabbath day was Saturday. So that's good news, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. We're going to find out. Maybe. My voice is cracked. Nobody heard that. Lord. Anyway, so far, so far, um, I think Augustine, he's the one that said that he kind of will be a new covenant theologian, it sounds like, but I'm just kidding. But he basically said that the Sabbath day was done away with totally in the New Testament and just completely done away with. And so Luther and Calvin have both said from a ceremonial, ceremonial aspect that Sabbath day has done away with, but they both apply the Christian Sabbath in meeting together on the Lord's day and finding true rest in Christ to be the fulfillment of the fourth commandment. It probably should be, it probably should be worth noting that both these guys are reformers, and so <laughs> I told you guys that traditional reform view was number three, and so both those guys are reformers. My favorite theologian, which I say he is a theologian, I'm just playing, but Jonathan Edwards he says that Sabbath day is a day of rest. God has appointed that we should every seventh day rest from all our worldly labors. Instead of that, he may have appointed the hardest labors for us to go through. And so kind of like the hardships as you go through the week. I always teach that, like, you know, Monday through Saturday, this is, in a sense, um, the devil's days. Because um, constantly we face, you know, constant uh, temptations to sin in this world. You're battling your flesh. You have uh, maybe the devil is attacking you some days. Of course, he's bound. But all these different things we have to deal with, um, persecution, Denial of the gospel, 
issues in your family, your marriage, you know, children not listening to you. You have so much going on through Monday through Saturday, right? Even work environment, going to work every day. All these different things that's happening to you on Monday through Saturday, right? But on Sunday, it's the Lord's day and you're free from the word that carries of the world. And so that's what Edward is saying. He's saying that out of all these hardships that we have, Monday through Saturday, Sunday, the Lord's day, is a day of outward, but especially of spiritual rest. It is a day appointed of God that his people therefore may rest or find rest unto their souls and that the souls of believers may rest and be refreshed in their savior. And then he says, it is a day of rejoicing. God made it to be a joyful day to the church. It is the image of the future heavenly rest of the church. And so all three of these guys are saying the same thing. They're kind of saying that, well, they agreed on this part that it's not talking about a physical rest primarily, but it's talking about finding that true rest in Christ as being a direct fulfillment of the fourth commandment. And so he also says this, as a Sabbath, it is a day which is especially set apart for religious exercises. So as a day wherein God especially confirms his grace and blessing, God has commanded us to set apart to have converse with him. So he has set apart for himself to have converse with him. Basically he's saying that we should be gathering together on this day and set apart all our activities to meet together on the Lord's day. And so again, all three of these guys are saying the same thing. Augustine is the only one that's left out. And he's a giant too, so we're not going to neglect them. That's why I want to read and give you guys kind of difference of opinions. But most of these giants of the faith, I had to take my breath. <laughs> most of these giants of the faith, they all said the same thing. Saying that the Sabbath day is the Christian day or the Lord's day, the Christian Sabbath, I meant. And that we should be gathered on the Lord's day. And so... Let's look and see. You guys know that we, when we say early church fathers, I told you guys that August Augustine, he was a early church father because he lived in the time of the apostles, the, the years of the time of the apostles. And so John, he died about 100 something AD, or many people say 90 AD. And so Augustine, he lived about 350 AD on that time period. And so when we speak of early church, early Christians and early church fathers, we speak of Christians who live in the time of the apostles. And so during the second century of the church, many of the church or the early Christians, they all held where well, they started to abandon the Sabbath day. And they, you know, the tradition, the Jewish custom that Saturday was the Sabbath, they started to abandon that. And so during the second century, by this time, they all abandoned Saturday for being the seventh day. And instead, they absorbed or observed <laughs> Sunday as the day for Christian worship. And so instead of Saturday being the day or the seventh day, they all said Sunday, the Lord's day was the seventh day. Let me take a quick drink of this Gatorade, y'all. <laughs> I think orange Gatorade is definitely best. If you think anything otherwise, you're not part of like, I'm just praying, but Orange Gatorade is definitely the best. If I had to like uh, narrow it down to more than one, I'll say Orange Gatorade and I think it's the, the Red Gatorade. I think it's Fruit Punch. Yeah, those two are my favorites. But anyway, get side try talking about Gatorade and I'm going to start getting hungry. I have to stop the podcast and go find something to eat. And so, um, yeah. So all the christians in church history um the early church they all held to that sunday was the lord's day and that the lord's day was a christian sabbath and that the christian sabbath was the true sabbath because that's the day that you know jesus christ he rose from the dead and so they got this uh, view because they believed that paul and the apostles they taught them that sunday was a day that they should meet and so that is why they abandoned the traditional Sabbath day customs and made the Lord's day the Sabbath day. So a good question somebody may ask today is, well, what do we do about the actual day of the Sabbath? Because tradition, like you said, all throughout the Bible, the Jews have held that the Lord's, not the Lord's day, but the Sabbath day was always Saturday. So how do we deal with that? So, the Baptist Catechism question number 64, it asks is, which day of the seven has God appointed to be the weekly Sabbath? 
And so the answer is, before the resurrection of Christ, God appointed the seventh day of the week to be the weekly Sabbath. And we have uh, verses about that, Exodus 20, chapter, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to 11, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12 to 14, as the first day of the week ever since, to continue the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath. And so we have chapters about that. And so basically what they're saying is, originally, well, let me make sure I understand this correctly, so I'm going to tell you all I lie. So basically, God has always appointed that the seventh day of the week be considered the Sabbath day. And then those verses I just gave you guys talks about how it is the seventh day there. But Christ, he rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And so ever since then, the Sabbath day has been on the first day of the week. And so we have different verses. Matthew 28, verse 1. Acts 20, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. Revelation 1, 10. And so different verses right there. They also said in uh, Caution 65, they says, how is the Sabbath to be sanctified? And the answer, they say, the Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day. And they say Exodus 20, verse 8 and 10. And they say, resting from such worldly employments and recreations as lawful on other days. So basically, we have, again, Monday to Saturday, we deal with all these different things, but on Sunday, we're supposed to be resting on that day. And then they say, spending the whole day or whole time of that day in public and private exercises of godly worship. And verses that we're given is Luke 4, 16, Acts 20, verse 7, and Psalms 92. We're also given Isaiah 66, verse 23. And so that's what they said on that. And so, let me read one more thing. Let me see if I can find it. So, so far, we've uh, defined biblically what the Sabbath day is, Exodus 20, Genesis 2. And then we've looked at what some of the giants of the faith have said, as well as what the early church and Christians held to um, in the time of the apostles. And just now, I've also been using the Baptist Catechism to kind of help shape and mold our thinking about the Sabbath day. And so not only do we have the Catechism, we also have the Baptist Confession of Faith. And it's basically a church doctrine of faith that has all the essential doctrines inside of it, such as baptism, God's ordinance, um, last judgment, church, uh, church, the Sabbath day is one of them. Uh, the Holy Trinity, the Holy Word, the Scriptures. We have everything inside this doctrine of faith. And it's called a confession. And so in chapter 22, it talks about the Sabbath day. And in section 7 and 8, I'll read those to you. And we're going we're gonna to get into them a little bit after this. Chapter, or chapter 22, section 7, it says about the Sabbath day, as it is the law of nature that in general... A proportion of time by God's appointed be set apart for worship of God. So by his word and a positive moral and perpetual commandment binding all men in all ages, he has particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto him. Which from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week. And from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week which he is called the Lord's day and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. The observation or observation, <laughs> I keep getting the word wrong, y'all. The observation of the last day of the week being abolished. And so the verses, the confession gives us, it's Exodus 20, verse 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, Acts 20, verse 7, and Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. And then... In the same chapter, section 8, it says, The Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord's, when men, after due preparing their hearts and ordering their common affairs aforehand, do not only observe and holy rest all day from their own works, but are also taken up the whole time in public and private exercises of his worship. And so the verses that were given there 
or Isaiah 58 verse 13, or Isaiah chapter 58 verse 13, Nehemiah chapter 13 verse 15 and 22. I definitely got to read the book of Nehemiah. That's like one book I don't think I've ever read in my life since I've been saved. I got to read that book. And then lastly, um, the people of the confession have given us Matthew chapter 12 verses 1 through 13. So let's take a quick break and we come back. We're going to deal with the moral, the moral aspect of the commandment because even in the confession and some of these guys of the giants of the faith, they have said something about the Sabbath day being a moral commandment that we should keep. And so when we come back, we're going to deal with the moral aspect of the Sabbath day. Stay tuned. They ask you how you are, you just have to say that you're fine when you're not really fine. It's a sad, sad day. The day after Sunday football, and they ask you how you're doing, and they ask you how your team did, and your team was undefeated 4-0, and they go out there to play a team that's been banged up, and they get beat 38-10. I just don't understand, y'all. I just don't understand. Aaron Rodgers, many say he's considered probably the greatest quarterback who's ever lived. If not the greatest, probably the most talented outside of Patrick Mahomes. But listen to these numbers. 16 completions out of 35 attempts. 160 passing yards. But guess what? Two interceptions. This man has thrown one pick six three times in his career. And he threw one yesterday, y'all. Not only that, he's thrown only four, I think either four or six interceptions in the last three seasons. And yesterday, he had two interceptions. And Tom Brady, listen to this. Tom Brady, the GOAT, right? The GOAT. 17 completions out of 27 attempts. 166 passing yards, two touchdowns. That is trash. And we got beat 38 to 10. This is what I be talking about. I'm, I'm sick of the Packers here. I'm sick of them. <clears throat> Sorry about that, guys. But, um, yes, we're back. And we're going to deal with the moral aspect of the fourth commandment. That is the Sabbath day commandment, right? And so, as you guys know, before I continue, let me just make sure we define this real quick. So you have what is known as Decalogue or the moral law. Anytime somebody says one of those things, the Decalogue in Hebrew, it means the 10 sayings. The moral law is the 10 commandments because all of them, even the Sabbath day, we're going to get in has a moral aspect. You guys know the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven images. Thou shalt not take the name Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. You should not kill. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not lie. And you should not covet your neighbor's things. All of those have a moralistic aspect behind them. And so when someone says the Decalogue or the Moral Law, we are referring to the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments are all moral laws. Now, many Christians, they say that nine, only nine of these laws that I just mentioned are a moral aspect. The, re the last one that's not included in the nine is, of course, the Sabbath day, right? And so the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue is the moral, uh, it's, the, it's the moral law, I meant. And so... Jonathan Edwards, he says, what then is the moral law, right? Maybe somebody is asking me the same thing. What then is the moral law? Why are these the moral law? And Jonathan Edwards, he says, those laws whose obligation arises from the nature of things and from the general state and nature of mankind, as well as from God's positive revealed will. And so you guys know that passage in scripture when Paul says the law of God is written in your heart. Therefore, when you die today, outside of Christ today, if you're listening and you're an unbeliever, and you stand before God, you die today, you will have no excuse before you because God is sovereign, right? And he's made a way to where all people are without excuse when they stand before him because the law of God is written on your heart. So even if you have no Bible, there still is no excuse because the law of God is written on your heart. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 2, Romans chapter 2, verse 14 to 15. He says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, the Ten Commandments, these not having the law are a law to themselves. And what they show, the work of the law is written in the hearts, 
their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts ultimately accusing or else defending them. Romans 2, 14 through 15. And Paul is saying here, you today, if you die outside of Christ, there's going to be without no excuse because the law of God is written on your heart. Now, what law? Because there's 613 laws in the Bible. Surely God didn't write all of those laws on your heart, right? So what he's talking about, he's talking about the Decalogue, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. All ten of these commandments are on your heart. So, for example, if you existed in a country that had no dealing with the idea of a God, but I put a baby in front of you and I put a gun to his head, something inside you naturally will try to fight me because you know it's wrong to kill babies. Or if you've seen a woman being raped right in front of you or a person being stabbed to death right in front of you, you will try to intervene and stop those things because you know it's wrong to kill. Even when you lie sometimes, deep down in your heart, you know sometimes maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I shouldn't tell the truth because all of these Ten Commandments are written on your heart. Therefore, we have no excuse when we stand before God because this law always points to God. Martin Luther always says a moral inability leads to total depravity. And so the reason why we have the law is because it points to God. All of these laws are moral because it points to God's moral character. God is perfect and he's good. And so all these laws are good, but we can't keep all of them perfect. That's why we need to save them. Anyway, that's what Jonathan Edwards was getting at. And I just had to, you know, include a little bit snippet of gospel. By the way, if you die today without Jesus, you will go to hell. Will you experience the wrath of God in a place called hell where the fire will burn you day in and day night and it will never cease and stop? Your pain will be extreme torment and you will be in extreme anguish. The Bible says you will not be tormented by the devil, but you'll be tormented by the one who created the devil and hell and all humans. His name is Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the triune God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you die today without Jesus, you will spend an eternity in this place facing the wrath of God. Not of Satan, not of man, not being saved from the tribulations of the world. But the reason why people need to get saved today is because they need to get saved from the wrath of God. And so when you place faith in Jesus, no longer are you viewed as a sinner, but God justifies you in Christ's works. And so Christ saves you from all your damnation and sin that you freely deserve, by the way, because you're born into that state. And Christ says, come to me, all you who are laden, and I give you rest. By the way, that also points back to the Sabbath day. If you're outside of Christ, you always break that command because you don't have true rest in Christ. You may sleep sometimes, <laughs> Monday to Saturday and Sunday, but true rest is, does not come from physical rest. True rest is found in Christ. And so, anyway, let's get back to this. Edwards, sorry about that. Maybe somebody need to hear that. Edwards, he says about the Ten Commandments, specifically the Sabbath day, the reason why it is a moral aspect, he says, from the nature of things, man's creaturehood is apparent that sometime ought to be set aside for the worship of the creator. What creator? The devil? No. Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel. Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, there should be time set out to worship the Creator. Notice how I didn't say yourself, not worship yourself, because you always do that, and I always do that. But God is saying there needs to be time for me, even though we should be doing that daily. We should keep listening. Thus, Edward says, quote, it is the moral, it is moral for God to require the separation of some time for his services. For his service, I meant. From the general state of mankind, that they are engaged in secular pursuits, it is appropriate that the time separated for worship of God be fixed. Then he says, quote, furthermore, one proportional time would be more suitable than another. One day in seven would be more suitable than one day in 30 or one day in 365 days. Thus, it is moral for God to require a fixed and suitable proportional time for his service. All this is reasonable. Then he says, agreeable with human reason, even discoverable by human reason. So think about this. God is saying he wants us to praise him, right? Because all things are made by him and for him, not for yourself, because you can't even make your heart beat, right? God wants all the praise. You guys know this. And so the reason why the Sabbath day is a moral law is because God is saying you 
need to worship me and all of that true rest is only found in me it's not talking about a physical day of rest that's part of it and that was done away with in the ceremonial aspect but we're getting at something bigger which is true rest in christ the heidelberg catechism it says in question 103 look it up if you don't know what that is it's a question again it's a catechism i talked about what catechisms are Heidelberg Catechism, it says, what is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? And the answer that we're given first, it says that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained. And then it says, and that, especially on the feast of a day of rest, I diligently attend to a temple of God's people, basically meeting on the Lord's day. And then it says to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in sacraments, to pray to God publicly. And so that's a pretty good definition. And then secondly, the second little paragraph, it says that every day of my life, I rest from all my evil ways, let the Lord work in me through his spirit. And so began in this life, the eternal Sabbath of truly resting in Christ, not just a physical rest, but truly resting in Christ. So has Christ done away with the Sabbath day commandment? Hardly, right? Because we know all these commandments are a moral law. If Christ did away with one of these commandments, would he not have done away with all these other commandments as well? As you guys know, with the rich and ruler, the man came up to Jesus in Luke 18. The teacher, what must I do to enter heaven? Jesus says, don't you know the commandments? Why are you asking about what is good? Do not commit adultery. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not murder. And then he stops because the good man says, all these I kept from my youth, right? And so where did Jesus get those commandments from? He got those from the moral law. The Ten Commandments, the moral law, is what holds people guilty under a holy God. And Jesus was using the moral law to point out this man's sin. And he only did five, but there's still five more commandments, right? Ten and whole. And James says in chapter 2, I believe, is it James 2.10? For if you break one, you break all ten. And again, if you're not in Christ, you always break the Sabbath day commandment. For one, you probably don't attend a local church. And for two, your true rest is not finding Christ. You're not resting in Christ from your labors. So has Christ done away with the Sabbath day commandment? Hardly. Let's look at the scriptures and see what he says. And then we're going to close out. Matthew chapter 12. Listen to this. Read from the NASB. You guys definitely get you a new American Standard Version Bible. It's the best Bible out there. I'm just playing. But NASB, ESV. Uh, KJV, NKJV, CSB. Sometimes I read the Geneva Bible because it's kind of cool to see what some of the reformers use. I think that's kind of it. Oh, I like the NLT and um, it's another one, NIV. Those are all the ones I use primarily. I, I use the NLT and the NIV for like, you know, just paraphrasing things for me if I can't get it. Because, you know, sometimes Paul, but he got the deep theological stuff. And so... Matthew 12, listen to Jesus' word. Well, listen to what Matthew says. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick heads of grains and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priest alone. Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priest and the temple break the Sabbath and are in are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here, talking about himself. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Then he says in verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath, or Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 9, they parted from there. He went into their synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they may accuse him, basically catch him up in a trap so they can get him killed because they hated him. And the law says that you who break the Sabbath should be put to death. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Verse 11. And he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep 
and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? So then, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Then he said to the man, Scratch out your hand. He scratched it out, and it was restored to normal like the others. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against them as how they might destroy them. But Jesus worried this withdrew from there and followed them and healed them all and warned them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken. And you guys know when he says the Sabbath was made for man, not the Sabbath for man. And so, and so we are not under the law as a method for salvation. Paul talks about that in Galatians. But we do delight to see the law in the hand of Christ. And we desire to obey the Lord in all things. The Ten Commandments. And of course, as New Covenant theologians will say, the law of Christ. Everything that God or Christ taught in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament, we want to obey. Of course, the laws that have been negated by Christ's coming or fulfilled in Christ, we no longer have to keep, such as the ceremonial aspect of many of these laws and the civil laws, we no longer have to keep. But we do keep the law of God, especially the moral law, not as a means to get to heaven, but because we love our dear Savior, and we know that sin is breaking his law, and we want to desire to abide in him. We, our delight is in him. I think it was that John Piper, he gets it from Jonathan Edwards. He says, God's delight is when we delight in him. And so that same can be said about the law of God. God is delighted when we abide in him, and that abiding is by obeying him, right? Jesus says, you love me, you obey me. And so we want to obey Christ, not as a means to go to heaven, but because we're already going to heaven, we must obey him, right? And part of those laws, of course, is the Sabbath day. And so had the Pharisees known this, they would have known that Jesus, he says in Matthew chapter 5, the very first sermon he preached, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Matthew five seventeen. So if that's true, this very fact shows that the Sabbath day commandment is still very much so intact today on the Christian. And it's very much so binding on you today as the Christian. And for those who stand condemned, who are not just before a holy God, they are also guilty or held guilty under the same Ten Commandments. Again, for a person to not. Let me let me stop real quick. Let me stop real quick. Let me stop real quick. So Jesus I'm going to go back. I'm going to come back to my thought I just mentioned on that. So in the New Testament, the Jewish idea was not kind of not really the true one. Um, the Pharisees, they uh, forbade doing any works unnecessary, such as having mercy. They wouldn't even rub their ears. They wouldn't even eat corn to satisfy their hunger. They wouldn't even try to heal the sick. And Jesus shows that you guys have the wrong view of the whole reason behind the Sabbath. He shows up on the scenes like I'm God. I am before Abraham was. I am worse. Not a plan. But basically, he says that the son of man is Sabbath. He's uh, the son of man is God even over the Sabbath. And he says, listen to me. But they missed the whole uh, reasoning behind God giving the Sabbath. Or you could say the spirit of the Sabbath, like the law. They missed the whole reason behind it. And so works such as piety it kind of, um, or like, you know, just resting from physical works. That was not the primary reason why God gave that commandment. But you would think that these Pharisees uh, or these Jewish people, they would have known God's law, right? They would have known the Bible better than us with the Old Testament because they had the first five books memorized. They would have known Exodus 31 verse 15 for six days work may be done. But on the seventh day, there is a Sabbath of complete rest. Holy to the Lord. Listen to this. The Lord, the Lord God says, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. Exodus 31, 31, 15. Exodus 35, verse 2 and 3. It says, for six days work may be done, but on the seventh day, seventh day I meant, you should not have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You should not even kindle a fire in it or your dwellings on the Sabbath day. And so back to back in the same book that Moses writes in Exodus, 
The Lord God says, if you do any work on this day, you should surely be put to death. Even work such as lighting a fire in your home. And so the Pharisees, you one may wonder, well, aren't they obeying the law by not doing work? Because in the Old Testament, someone who was doing work on this day would be put to death. But again, even in Numbers, look what Moses records. It says, now, while the sons of Israel were in wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. And they put him in custody because it had not been declared what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So that all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones. Just as the Lord had commanded. And so three different passages. It tells us that you are not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And surely these Pharisees who believed in keeping the law, they were upholding this law, right? But no, Jesus, he shows up and he says the Sabbath rest was more, more than just a physical rest. He said, my father worketh, and so do I. So what in the world was he talking about? He even mentioned in Matthew 12 how the priests who labor hard, they offer sacrifices. And so the priests in the temple, they profane the Sabbath and they are blameless or innocent. And they were doing work on the Sabbath, right? But they are considered innocent as far as the law is concerned. Many of Jesus' own miracles was done on the Sabbath day. And he did this on purpose because he was trying to teach the Pharisees about the Sabbath day. Charles Spurgeon, he says, Oh, that man knew how to keep the spiritual Sabbath by easing from all servile work and from all work done for self. The rest of fate is true Sabbath and the service of God is most acceptable howling of the day. Oh, that that the day were wholly spent in serving God and doing good. The sum of the Lord's teaching was that works of necessity, works of mercy and works of piety are lawful on the Sabbath. Another Reformed Baptist guy, his name is John Gill. He has a commentator, a commentary over the entire Bible and every verse. I should go to mention that he's a Reformed Baptist, and this is the only time, only person I think has done that, and he just happens to be Reformed Baptist. So that's good news, right? But John Gill, he says, it is the duty of saints to assemble together for public worship on the account of God, who has appointed it, who approves of it, and whose glory is concerned in it. And on account of the saints themselves, they may be delighted, refreshed, comforted, instructed, instructed, edified, and perfected. And on account of others, that they may be convinced, converted, and brought to the knowledge and faith of Christ. And an imitation of private primitive saints, basically an assembly together ought to not be forsaken. For it is forsaken God and their own mercies, and such are like to be forsaken of God. Nor is it known what is lost hereby. And so basically he's saying, of course, again, what all the other reformers have said, that on the Sabbath day, the Lord's day, we are to be gathered together in public worship, but also resting in the Lord. And so Hebrews chapter four kind of puts this argument to rest. Let me read it to you guys, though. Hebrews chapter four. Let me go there in my Bible. I had it written down on my iPad, but it was just scattered everywhere. So technology is good until it's not, right? But give me a chance to use this premium Bible. <laughs> Break it in a little bit more. Hebrews chapter 4. I guess we'll start in verse 4. Huh? Verse 4. Hebrews chapter 4. It says, For he had said somewhere concerning the seventh, the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter and for those who have merely have good news preached to them, fail to enter because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, such as has been said before today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken another day after that. So. There remains a Sabbath rest for people of God, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, 
let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fail through following the same example of disobedience. And so that section of scripture, I believe written by Paul, probably preaching a sermon recorded, it's kind of definitely clearer that true rest, that the Sabbath day commandment has always been talking about a Sabbath rest or a true rest found in Christ. And so let me see a couple more things before we wrap up. Uh, some Christians say that the New Testament Sabbath rest is like a relation, it's simply a relationship with God when we cease from doing our, you know, our, our sinful acts and resting in Christ. That's what Luther said. That's what Calvin said. Gill said the same thing. What's the guy's name? I forgot. Oh, Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> he said the same thing. All the reformers said the same thing on that. Let's see. Some Christians also say that the Sabbath was not primarily a day, but rather, again, a relationship with God through Jesus. And this person says the Old Testament Sabbath was a perfect picture of the New Testament relationship. While all the other nations of the world were working seven days a week, God's people only worked six and dedicated the seventh day to worshiping their God. And this person says the Sabbath is a person, not a day. The Sabbath was a covenant between God and the nation of Israel. The New Testament church is not mentioned observing the Sabbath in the New Testament. There is a greater purpose of the Sabbath revealed. And then he says the Sabbath was only a shadow of the things to come, but it's not fulfilled in Christ. And then Colossians 2.16 verse 17. Therefore, no one is to act as, you, as your judge in regard to food or drink or respect to festivals or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so he says that Sabbath is symbolic. But I partly agree with some of what he said. I will take out what he says that primarily that the Sabbath, it points to Jesus, but I will say that Sabbath is also a day, but it's good to give you guys different perspectives. So again, in summary, the Bible teaches us that not only is a Sabbath a day? It's on the Lord's day now, the day that Christ rose again from the grave, the seventh day, or as Augustine would say, the eighth day. The Christian Sabbath Sunday is now the, the true Sabbath day. And so not only that, to obey this commandment today because it's still binding, as we talked about as Christians, on us because it's part of the moral law that was written on the hearts. And so you guys can go back in the podcast and listen to what I said, uh, Jonathan Edwards, the definition he gave us. Definitely go back and listen to why he says the Sabbath day is a moral commandment. And so in summary, Sunday, the Lord's day is now the Sabbath. That's the day Jesus rose from the grave. And now the apostles commanded us that we meet on the first day of the week. The Christians who live in the time of the apostles, they also record that they done away with the Saturday than the Sabbath. And Sunday was the Christian Sabbath. And it's been since the time of the apostles. And so today, for you as a Christian to abide or obey that commandment means to rest in Christ. Make sure your true rest is found in Christ. Not in physical rest, but it's talking about a spiritual rest. Where you cease from all your sinful actions and desires. And you're finding your true rest in Christ and you're fully satisfied in Christ but secondly you should not be forsaking the assembly of Christ because again Monday through Saturday is the devil's day constantly you're following temptations the sins that you struggle with deep down the hidden sins that no one knows of uh, the trials of this world you're even facing the world the devil himself throwing different things at you getting you to sin or trying to tempt you to sin spouses children whatever it is you're in the devil's world, but on Sunday, the Lord's Day, you get to be gathered together with the saints in public worship under expositional preaching and hearing the word of God proclaimed over your life. Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembly of the saints. So it is a sin for us to not meet together on the Lord's Day, which is the Sabbath day, right? No other day does God say that about forsaking the assembly of the saints. And so the only the assembly of the saints, ecclesia, church, it means called out, of course, but a, assembly of the saints, a church, is not listening 
to a sermon online or listening to a preacher preach and hearing singers preach online. That's not church. Church is meeting together in a public worship environment where you're together with the saints. By the way, only saints make up the church. You have the invisible church and you have the visible church. The invisible church is what is known as spiritual Israel or true Israel. All believers of all times make up what is known as invisible church. But the actual church building is the visible church. And we're not to forsake the visible meeting inside the church. Where we have public worship. And so the two things you disobey today by um, to basically to break the commandment today would not be to basically means to not find your true rest in Christ. And lastly, to forsake the assembly of the saints, to miss church willfully, to not be involved in church or to not be committed in church faithfully every Sunday is to commit a sin. And it means to break the Sabbath day. So hopefully today, guys, everything that was said today was kind of helpful. If not, my email is K-H-A-L-E-E-L-J zero zero at gmail.com and you guys can email me anytime any questions you may have and again my cash up name is p-a-y-m-e-1515 thanks